Sorry, Sergio just mentioned you have 30 minutes because he knows that um, sometimes I can talk a lot. <laughs> but I'm always really honored to bring the word. Um, I will say, though, the word this morning, um, I have not been excited about it. It's the first time ever that I've not been excited about it. But I know that it's important and it's necessary. And, you know, for those who don't know, we have a whole speaking team at this church and we meet and we chat. And um, sometimes we'll talk about things that need to be addressed in the church and we assign, you know, different people to tackle different issues. And this was assigned to me. And, um, you know, I'm submissive to the house. <laughs> and so I'm going to bring this word this morning. And we're still in our relationship series. And I think I'm finishing it off, but I'm not sure. But this morning, I'm going to be talking about sex. I'm going to be talking about living together and dating. All three things I'm not doing. <laughs> blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. <laughs> So it's going to get real hot in here. I will say that some things may be sensitive for younger ears, but you know your kids. I know I had the sex talk with my girls a year ago, and I was not planning for it. And um, I was totally chill and no big deal and freaking out on the inside. And... Um, I actually would strongly encourage us as parents to be the first to talk about this because unfortunately, kids are hearing about it younger and younger, and it's better they hear it from you than from a friend, and we can place it all correctly and how God designed it to be. Amen? So we're going to dive right in. But before I tackle this, my first point and the first thing that I want to talk about that is really, really important is it has to be centered around Jesus, this entire thing in our entire lives. And I think in the church world, we, we say that we are surrendered, but oftentimes we aren't. We're doing things our own way. We're getting things done. And, and then we're like, oh, yeah, God bless this thing that I'm doing that you never called me to do. And, you know, I wasn't always surrendered or yielded. Um, I definitely, I went, I was married, and I went through a crazy marriage and divorce, something that I would have never been prepared for that messed me up a lot. And so I definitely have had my battles. And um, going through the divorce, it devastated me, and it brought up all my childhood stuff. And, you know, it was just... Uh, I was a hot mess, and I definitely didn't do things in the best way. And the thing is, when we are wounded, we behave poorly, and we open our lives up to the devil. Because we don't, because in order for us to come to Jesus and to yield to him, it demands humility. And it demands us to go low. And anger keeps our pride high. And disappointment and discouragement keeps our pride high, and we're mad at God, so we're doing this up my way. And we pay the price because we open our lives up for the enemy to come and wreak havoc. So 
You know, 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter, and I'm in the wedding industry, so I know all about this chapter. But there was a line in there that really struck me, and it was talking about without love, you're a loud, clashing symbol. And I never want my walk with Jesus to be that. Sometimes Christians, we talk a lot, but we're actually just like noise because our lives don't show what we speak and what we say and how we treat people and how we live. So in order to get this correct and do it well, it demands a yielded life. And the more you decide to spend time with God, and, and, it, was, and I, it was a journey for me, and it was strange and weird to lock myself up in my room and play worship music and read the Bible. It was weird. But I kept at it, and it started shifting everything. And, and when Jesus becomes everything, you realize he also has everything. So you never lack. In fact, Matthew 5, 6, I'm going to read the Amplified. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied, completely satisfied. I know that for me, when I'm pressing in, I have no lack. I don't, I'm completely satisfied. And, and <laughs> no high, no money, no relationship will do that for you. It will keep you wanting more and you are never satisfied. Only Jesus can do that. Oh, and I used to think, you know, there was a time where I was obsessed with becoming the richest woman ever. Um, and it was so empty. And then I tasted Jesus. And so I yielded that to him. And yielding sucks. It's not comfortable. And, it's, and it took me <laughs> a couple of years to figure this out. But I would get so frustrated because I would yield and everything would get harder. And I couldn't understand why. And it seemed like everything would blow up in my face. And God was teaching me yieldedness and submitting to him. And the thing is, Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. He struggled to yield in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, if you can take this cup, take it from me. He didn't want to do it, but he chose to do it. He chose to do it because on the other side of that was redemption. It's the same when we do when we yield to Jesus. And, and, he, and it's a forever thing. You will always be yielding because your will gets in the way. So when you give him one area, he's like, okay, what about this area? What about that area? What about your finances? What about your relationships? What about your mouth? What about how you treat people? What about, maybe you don't say it, but there's so much bitterness in your heart. Give it to me. Give it to me. What about your calling? What about your ministry? Give it to me. Oh, no, give it to me more. So yielding is vital. And so I'm going to talk about dating. Um, I will, when I got the courage to get back out there, I was mortified. Um, <laughs> because I hadn't done it in a long time. And um, I used to be quite good at it. 
And, you know, um, I had to remember how to do it because there's a certain art with it. There's a certain way. There's certain social things to do with it. And um, for all the single people in here, I hear you. It's tough. Keep standing. <laughs> Keep believing. <laughs> um, but the problem dating our culture has from an early age define what that is. We have been programmed to make this a huge piece of our identity. From the time we're young in elementary school and up in middle school, the main thing is to get the guy and to get the girl or as many girls as you can in our role. And I know if you guys, I totally was that person. My role was to get the guy. I was groomed from an early age to be as beautiful as I could be, to be as suave and sexy and all the things because my goal was to get the guy and the same with men. We are groomed and so we get into relationship after relationship and every person we're with takes a piece of our soul and our heart and we have trauma and we have broken trust. And so then when we finally decide in college or later on, I want to get married now, we bring all of this baggage into our marriage and we wonder why it's not working. This is not the Jesus way. And so we are distressed and and we don't take the time to heal and to figure out who we are. And so we keep doing this and then we have divorce and then we don't heal from the divorce and we get into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we have nothing to give because we have given it all along the way. So before, and this may be you, it may not be, but before we do marriage and dating well, we have to do singleness very well. And it's so important that you don't lose your singleness in marriage. And what I mean by that is it's vital that you have a vision for your life. We often get lost in our marriage and our identity goes with that. And with time, you become less interesting because you're not in pursuit of anything. You don't know where you're going. So you grab at everything and you need and you become clingy and you need affirmation and, and you need someone to affirm and, and give you um, confidence because you don't know where you're going. And vision and calling can only come from God. You know, the thing is, <laughs> the most attractive thing in people, what do they say? It's confidence, right? Because you can be beautiful and handsome and all that, but if you don't have confidence in yourself, you get ugly real quick. But true confidence can only come from Jesus. Because when you have confidence in your looks, which will fade, in your finances, in your stature, these are all very shaky ground. And you see it happen in people's lives and when they have affairs is because they have planted their security on very shaky ground. So in any given moment in time, you can have a problem. Proverbs says, don't awaken love before it's time. And we so do that in dating culture.
I want to read Proverbs chapter 26, verses 11 through 12. Can you put that up, Jeremy? Verses 11 through 12 in Proverbs says this. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes and conceit? There's more hope for a fool than for him. How many times are we going to return to our vomit and keep doing the same thing over and over again? When you have a vision, and this is, this is how it works. We often are programmed to go search for the vision. Don't search for the vision. Search for the master, and he'll give you the vision. Because you think you want this, but God knows you, and he knows you actually want this. And he knows how to bring this into fruition because this is your gifting and your calling and the purpose for your life. And so if you're spending time with God, he will show you the vision. And when you know where you're going and you know your vision, you know the people that will help you get there. Your focus becomes narrow. When you don't know where you're going, you grab at everything. And it's very dependent on where you are, the type of people that you date. We attract everyone. Okay, I, I definitely, when I was broken and messed up, I, I attracted garbage. I dated guys that were not great. And then the, the more I started to heal, the people I attracted were different. And it wasn't that I didn't attract garbage. I just didn't make time for that anymore. My focus became clearer. And then God told me to stop dating, which I would highly recommend. <laughs> um, because sometimes we are in this cycle Relationship after relationship or we're with somebody we have no business being with. And you have to reassess. And this is also in marriage, too. You get in routine and in cycle, and you, and you never reassess why you're constantly returning to the vomit. Why God delivers you, and you come back to that very thing he delivered you from. It's really important to hide away and lock away and take time and yield and yield again and yield again. When I'm lonely, when I want somebody, when I'm sick of it, yield, yield, and yield again. It's not pretty. It's not comfortable. But there is fruit on the other side of yielding, and yielding keeps you safe. Yielding will put you in the best position. And so when you're yielded, you, it gets really narrow. I remember when God asked me of this, and I've been going strong a couple of years now, but um, it, it just changed everything because I started yielding to him, and everything in my life just started opening up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. And then I had a conversation with God, and I'm like, God, you do realize um, when I really follow you, my margin's going to get really small with men. And God gently reminded me, that's okay. You just need one. And, and so I just want to give a couple of tips to dating, and then I'm going to move on. But just practical tips. Because I think in the Christian world, we get this mindset of, I just sit, and God, you do everything. 
And sometimes he does. And sometimes he literally will bring that person to you. Um, and then sometimes we get very desperate as single people. And all we think about is marriage. And, and it's always what's on the, going on on the inside of you, you exude that. So you can say, I'm confident, but you really know when someone's confident. And confidence is not about being perfect or feeling great. It's actually being really comfortable with who you are and getting lost in who Jesus called you to be. Because when you know him, you're not looking for approval from anybody. And you're not seeking someone to admire you or validate you because you care about the validation of one. Because you're living for the audience of one. And it gives you a different kind of confidence that's not from you. Because anything from us, it's not, it's not good. And... It's, and I just want to encourage a single people. Sometimes we can lose our confidence. And on a practical note, definitely lock up with Jesus. He can build you up faster and better and healthier. You know, it's not about how long you know him. It's how deeply connected and yielded you are to him. Because I noticed, you know, and I, I'm an entrepreneur and all into self-help and self-growth. And I, was, I went and did all the things, right? And I was working on myself and I was going to you know, do all the stuff. But Jesus did it so much better. It took me years to be okay. And then for me spending a month making a choice to be in his presence daily, he would reveal to me years of stuff that I was trying to figure out in two seconds. The Holy Spirit can download in an instant a problem you've been struggling with for 20 years and how to get out of it. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have this, you're missing out. This is, but this can only happen when you're intimate with him and you're in his presence. It's not a one Sunday thing, God. No, it's a daily decision. And it's not that things around you changes. Everything about you changes. Your perspective changes. The way you see changes. And so practical things for confidence building for my single people, or maybe you haven't dated in a long time, when you lock away with him, we have a lot of power to decide the kind of people we want to be. After my divorce, I felt really lost. And I was pretty confident prior to and when I got married. And then after years of dysfunction and abuse, it really did a number on me. And um, I, I had no idea who I was. And my self-esteem was really low. And... Um, I started thinking about the God who created me with the ability to create. And I decided on the type of woman that I admired. I didn't have a grid for her, but I made her up and I decided this is what I'm going to be. I admired this about this person. I like this about this person. And I, would, I put it all in a melting pot. And that's what I decided to do. And I aligned myself. And you can do the same thing. And sometimes in marriage, you have to do this too. Because you become blah and unattractive. Because you no longer care about who you were, what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're living. Nothing stays the same. It will either progress or regress. You either transform by the renewing of your mind or you conform to the world. And it's low, 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 low standards. Women raise the standard, but men, please raise the standard too. I say that for all the women. Because you hear it all the time on the women but men, wait, stop wasting your time. Raise your own standard of who you're called to be in this generation. We need men to take their place. 
So building your confidence, and I'm going to wrap that portion up, but do things that bring you joy. For women, becoming more feminine is very attractive if you want a masculine guy. What does that mean? Find joy, find freedom, chill out, truly. Don't be so needy and desperate. Get your own thing. Find Jesus. The freer you allow God to, to the, the freer you become, the more attractive you become. The same with men. Become more masculine. That's attractive. The, the moment a man becomes feminine and can't make up his mind and can't make a decision, he becomes too girly. It's not cute. It's not attractive. Take a stand. We need you to. <laughs> If you want that girl to stop bossing you around, become a man. Because she's finding that she has to take that place. I mean this in the best way. Because I want you to succeed. Um, and become what you're looking for. I've met a lot of guys who have a lot of lists. And a lot of girls who have a lot of lists. I want this and I want this. Are you the things that you're looking for? And then make peace with the tension of singleness. Because sometimes you're good and you don't care. And then sometimes you want to get married and you really want somebody. And recognize this is part of it. There's a glorious tension. It's a love-hate thing with that. And in navigating, self-assess. How do you come across? As a single person, how do you come across to somebody Understand your wiring as a man or a woman. And be intentional. When Abraham was promised Isaac, he got sick of waiting for the promise. So he got the slave girl pregnant, and she produced Ishmael, the counterfeit. So important. <laughs> this was such a revelation to me because sometimes we want God to do something in our lives that we go do it our, ourselves, and it never works. And it's not as good. Be intentional and wait for the promise, not the counterfeit. It doesn't matter in, in, in relationships and in calling and purpose. Wait for his promise. And be equally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness actively seeking to stand right with God and unrighteousness with darkness? Equally yoked. I used to think it meant um, marry a Christian. But it so doesn't mean that. Being equally yoked. If you're in pursuit of Jesus and the person next to you isn't, that's a really hard dynamic because when you pursue God, what happens is the two different wills and people line up in sync. And you're going in the same direction. And your calling is beyond your marriage or your relationship. Your calling is him. And he satisfies and deals with this, with the marriage part. You have to get a vision bigger and be equally yoked to somebody who's going in the same direction. Because the Bible says one can put 10,000 to flight, or one can put 1,000, two can put 10. Meaning, together you can get a lot more done. And don't stop dating. It's really important for however long you need 
that you take a season to reevaluate, reassess, figure your vision out for your life, fi figure yourself out, heal, heal from trauma, because it's not going to just go away. It festers and festers until it explodes and implodes. But don't stop dating in marriage. Don't stop dating your kids. That was a revelation to me. I started dating my kids. Kids are just like us. When we have attention and we have care and someone does something special to us, we love it and we want to return the love. Kids are no different. They're so good at loving us well. And if you don't build now with them, later when they're grown, they're going to want nothing to do with you. And so, I mean, I have date times with my girls. We watch movies. We cuddle. We take trips together. We go out to eat. We do all the things. I mean, I have a box of love letters from my kids because I've taken the time to invest in them. You, nothing stays stagnant. You go forward or you regress. It doesn't matter what you're building. You will never just stay in, in that same place. You either are building and becoming better or you're regressing and becoming worse. The same with marriage, the same with any dynamic. You either date and take the time and make the sacrifice to build something or you destroy it with time. And then you wonder 10 years down the road, I have nothing in common with you. I don't even know you. I don't even like you. Nothing stands still. So don't stop dating. Living together. I'm appalled and shocked at how many people in the church live together. And <laughs> it's really funny. If you've been divorced, I've heard it a lot. We justify it. Well, I've been married. It's all good. No, it's not what the Bible says at all. Again, if you don't start with knowing Jesus deeply and yielding, this whole thing is not going to make sense because what religion does is it twists scripture. And religion says, how close to the edge can I get? I know y'all dated this way. How close to the edge can I get before I fall off? But love says, I don't even want to go there because it will cost me what I have with him. It's the same in marriage. Duty says, how close to the edge can I get before I fall off? Love says, I've built this with them. I don't even want to risk it. Too many are playing house but not building a home. A study shows that people who are married versus living together, the married people are more satisfied in their relationship. There's more trust. There's more belief that that person has your back. And there's a higher percentage of divorce from people who live together first. Amen, I can go home now. <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about sex. That's my next portion. Um, sex is good, and I can't wait till I do it again. Um, <laughs> no, don't, don't worry. I'm getting real, real, real spiritual here in just a moment. Um, I want to read 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. I'm going to read a lot, okay?
Amplified. Amplified has been my jam lately because chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor perversely effeminate or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, those who use words and sex, you can put that in there, but as weapons of abuse, insult to humiliate, intimidate, or slander, nor swindlers will inherit any share of the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you believed, but you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God, and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. Everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing it to control me. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not intended for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body to save, sanctify, and raise it again because of the sacrifice of the cross. And God has not only raised up the Lord to life, but will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Am I therefore to take members of Christ and make them part of a prostitute? Certainly not. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall be one flesh. But the one who is, is united and joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether in thought or behavior, whether visual or written. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and you are not your own property? You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased by the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God with your body. When you read that, this is why I said in the beginning, it's so important that you spend time with Jesus and he becomes everything. Because reading that apart from Jesus, it sounds intense and harsh and aggressive. And that's why people don't read it in church. We don't like to talk about those things. But when you understand that God's design and desire is so much better. You read it very differently. You were bought with a price. Take care of your body. Sexually, physically, mentally, emotionally, you were bought with a price. Set apart. This is not cool, trendy lingo. Whether you're in the church or not, that's irrelevant. Church people are more sexually active or as sexually active as anybody else. Because we've made it so unimportant. But you were bought with a price. 
God died for your body and for your life. You were set apart. Our culture has such a skewed idea about sex. We make it extremely selfish. We've made it like an animalistic thing. This is just how I'm wired. It is. It is. But you can survive without sex. You will not die. I thought I would. Okay, I thought I would, but I did not die. And here's the thing. All that sexual energy, if you don't, if you, you can really use it to do a lot of things. I mean, I, I started a business. I remodeled a house. I'm raising kids. I mean, all that energy is put in those things because it's, it's energy. So you can use it in a lot, of, and you actually can become very productive. I'm very, very productive. <laughs> but culture has this skewed idea, and we push it, and it's so selfish, and we have this hookup Netflix and chill culture. <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but there was a time where I went on a lot of dates. And um, just to figure out a lot of things, figure out what I was looking for. And, and then I started following Jesus. And so for fun, you know, I, I would see that this date is going well. And the guys, you know, they would be like flirting with me on the other end. And I would just casually say, yeah, I'm, I'm celibate. And I said it in a real sexy, sultry, you know, way. And it was so funny to, to see the reaction. It was so funny. I remember this one guy was like, and he was good looking too, and he was like, are you okay? He was Italian, Italian stallion. And he's like, he was like so shocked by that, and he's like, mm, this is a shame. <laughs> but I was bought with a price. We have turned the culture from men using women to women using men. And we numb ourselves out. And women who've been abused by men or traumatized, we now think we can tr control that man. And so now you're not going to control me. I'm going to control you. It's this vicious, toxic cycle. Porn. I... Um, Years ago, I heard about human trafficking, and, I was, and I've been involved with, with that off and on for a long time. And I remember one of the first organizations I worked for, they, um, my job and my role was to, I was in the research department, and I was researching why men from America and the UK would travel to places like Thailand to have sex with little girls. That was my job. And my research led me to the porn industry. Because what happens when we watch porn all the time is our brain starts shifting, very similar to drugs and any addiction. Your neural pathways in your brain shift. And the way you look at things shifts. And so now you don't look at a woman as a person. You look at them as an object for my pleasure. And so these guys, they were not terrible men. And women do it too, okay? They weren't terrible. They just got trapped because porn is a monster that you will never satisfy. 
you go deeper and deeper. And just regular porn is not going to do it for you. You go deeper and deeper and deeper. And before you know it, you're looking at horrific things that you shouldn't look at because your brain has been warped. This is how the enemy comes to play and bring destruction. And we are such an overly sexualized culture, yet we are the most unsatisfied. Because this was not God's design. And frankly, that's the worst way to learn about sex. It's transactional. It's boring. And we all, men and women, crave intimacy. Our culture says, no, it's just an animalistic thing. You just got to do it. You're built this way. No. That's not how you're built. As we read here, do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, two shall be one flesh. Soul ties. You give your soul to people, one after the other. And whatever is on that person, you take that. It's actually a scientific fact. But Jesus, the Bible is so brilliant. It's way ahead. It says it in here. And science is just now catching up. You give a piece of your soul, and you take whatever's on every person you've been with. And now you're sitting there wondering why you are so dysfunctional in this area of your life. Why sex has become so twisted and manipulated and a weapon. When God designed it to be totally different. There are people this morning, you may have soul ties. I didn't even realize this until I started diving deeper. And it doesn't all have to be physical. It could be emotional, too. And you wonder why you just can't get there, that intimacy in your marriage. Because you have soul ties. And it could come from abuse, trauma, if you've been molested or raped, you can have a soul tie with that. God cares about your sexuality. You are larger than your sexuality. Your sexuality is not your identity. You have a calling and a purpose. And what the enemy meant to rob you and distort you and make you dysfunctional, God called you out of that to heal you and to make you whole because he cares. Because this is important. Sex was God's idea, not our culture's idea. I told that to my kids. I said, this is God's idea. And they're like, what? I said, oh, yeah. I said, you know, it's like, it's like the gas tank. You just stick it into the car. You can follow me for more tips. No, I said, this was God's idea. And when you do it well and you do it right, it brings so much fulfillment to your life. It wasn't culture. Soul ties need to be broken, both emotional and physical and sexual. 
we have to take that time to say, Jesus, I break whatever is on me that is destroying the relationship with my spouse, that is distorting me from having healthy relationships as a single person. This God, I got to get rid of this stuff. It's demonic. It's spiritual. Sex is spiritual. You can say emotional intimacy is into me see. It's a coveted experience. It's surrendering to intimacy and allowing someone to get so close that they can actually see and feel your soul. That's what God designed it to me to be. How dare we cheapen it? How dare the church let the culture define what God created? It's time to take that back and redeem it because it's amazing and it's beautiful. No, I truly mean it. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of people being so whatever with it. Sure, it's not always lightning and fireworks. Been there, done that, get it. But the point is, it's important to our essence as a human being. Our sexuality is important. God created it. It was his idea. How dare we let culture define it and mess it up and twist it and let the traumas of our past dictate how unhappy we are in this area. The more free you are, the more you allow God to free you emotionally and mentally, the happier you will be in the bedroom, in this area. You're meant to be free. I mean, when God created Adam and Eve, they were naked in the garden. It was the enemy that came and said, hey, what's going on here? Let's bring shame. We realize we're naked. Now shame. The enemy comes to distort. And we have this inability to be vulnerable and free because the enemy has come in with trauma, with the past, with pain, with woundedness, with hurt, with pornography. Everything. This is why I read this passage. It's not God saying, I want to take all the joy out of your life. He's saying, I want to protect you because I know how it's meant to be. And this culture and the devil is distorting it. The word is protection. It's protection. God had to heal so much trauma in me that I didn't even realize. But man, I'm free now. That man's going to be lucky. But that's what God desires. And maybe, and as a single person, maybe you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. The Bible says when you've done everything you know to do, just stand. Just stand and pray and don't settle it's not worth it God cares he cares and maybe you're a married person and this is a broken area of your life he cares he cares he wants to heal it he wants to know how he wants you to know how he intended it and how he created it to be Proverbs 31 says about the Proverbs 31 woman, it says that her husband trusts in her. 
He has confidence in her. And she will bring him good and not evil for the rest of his life. Does your spouse trust in you? That means, can I trust you with the in to me see? When you see my pain and you see my brokenness and I'm fully exposed and naked with you, can I trust you? And the more you let go, the more satisfied you become. Can I trust, can your husband or wife trust in you? The Bible says a faithful man who can find. Even if you're in a situation that is terrible, be faithful to God. Because the enemy always comes and he packages it great. I remember there was somebody in my life that the packaging was awesome. And he kept, he wanted to provide everything for me. And I was a single mom, really worn down from doing all the things I was doing. And, and he's like, I just want to take care of you. I bought a big house and I have a maid and, and I have a babysitter. And it was beautiful and it was awesome. But it was the enemy's way of packaging something. Because he doesn't deceive by evil. He deceives by good, but not right. So in closing, I want to encourage my single people, do your inner work. Build your confidence. Step into what God has called you to be because you will attract the very thing that you are on the inside. You can't fake for a long time. When I wasn't well, I, I drew these very unhealthy men into my life. And now that I'm seeking the Lord full on, totally different, I'm not... I'm in a completely different place. And I love it because I've never been more content and happy in my life. It doesn't mean I don't want marriage. It doesn't mean you don't contend for that and you don't believe for that. But I'm not willing to go here because of what I have here. I was, you're bought with a price. You're set apart. Your marriage and your singleness is set apart. Find your vision. Get back. It starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. And until he becomes everything, you don't realize how much you miss out and how much he wants to change everything about you and heal you and make you vibrant.